Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organisation a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au. Bóng đá, football, sepak bola, Welcome to Moving Goalpost Beyond Barriers, a brand new podcast series where we talk about the AFC Asian Cup and tackle issues that prevent many women from reaching their professional dream of playing football and representing their country. My name is Yumi Oba from SBS Japanese. Joining me will be my colleague, Yue Lu from SBS Mandarin, as we tackle issues surrounding barriers. Football Confederation AFC Women's Asia Cup has finally kicked off. The tournament has been expanded from 8 to 12 teams to make it more competitive and to boost women's football in Asia. Even more exciting is that the tournament is also a qualifier for the Women's World Cup in 2023, which will be held here in Australia and New Zealand. Five teams will directly qualify for the World Cup, while two more teams will progress onto the intercontinental playoffs. With the host nation Australia already qualified, the 2023 FIFA World Cup will see the biggest number of Asian teams in history. We all know that women's football has come a long way. Although the sport itself has been played for centuries, it has come with many challenges. And that journey has been so diverse, almost on a different timeline for many of the Asian nations. Some teams are starting to make a mark on the international stage, like Japan, for example, the defending champions of the Asia Cup and the winner of the 2011 FIFA World Cup. Countries like Australia, South Korea and China are consistently seen advancing through the world tournament. But how about the football developing countries? Where are they in their journey? Iran, for example, who is participating in the 2022 Asia Cup for the first time, has been riddled with challenges for decades. While for the Chinese Taipei, the team does not receive the same amount of attention like the Matildas. Perhaps this gap within the Asian nation is partly responsible for the growing gap between Asia and Europe. And this is what we will be exploring in this first episode, the gap within Asia. So to give an overall picture of what is happening in terms of women's football in Asia, we had a chat with the head of AFC Women's Football Development by Lily. What are some of the challenges faced by the Asian nation in terms of women's football development? 
you know, Asia is the biggest continent in the world. So the vast distance and, you know, the climate change is always the challenge for us in terms of cost, manpower, time difference, extra when we are organizing the competitions and events. And also that, you know, uneven economic status, uh, poor infrastructure, lack of investment are still common in many places. You know, also the diversities we have in terms of different culture, political system, religious, and we are still facing negative attitude towards girls, women playing football. You know, and the football culture is not really here as it's not the most popular sports in many Asian countries. People still having this mindset that girls playing football and doing the coaching job are not really considered as a proper career. Um, that's why those campaigns like It's My Game, Game Changer are very important to break down the stereotype by showing more examples. And how far is women's football lagging behind, say, Europe? Europe is a strong women's football continent, which is due to over two decades commitment and investment in women's football by UEFA and its national associations. Uh, I just gave you one example. They launched the Women's Football Club competition in 2001. At that time, it's so-called uh, UEFA Women's Cup. And then gradually uh, to the Champions League. Now, almost all the 55 nations club are participating in this game. Still, it's not happening anywhere else. Uh, of course, Asia, we just started in 2019, but they are doing this um, more than 20 years now. And together with other developer programs, so it's the time for them to receive good results. Um, but my point, and I really want to emphasize it, the um, long-term investment in women's football is the key of their success. So it took them more than 20 years to see the results. So I would say this is the gap what I can see. We are catching up, we are doing our best. Hopefully it won't take us that long. How can we close the gap within Asia? Promotion at the grassroots level to increase the participation, uh, the campaigns to change the mindset that women and girls can play football and you can make it as a hobby or a professional. Also optimize the competition to allow more girls to play at the competitive level. For example, the club competition and the technical development projects, for example, the female coach education, uh, workshop, etc. Also to increase the female voice at the decision-making level that all helps to bridge the gap. Um, also, you know, at the continental level, I think we, uh, AFC, need to provide the platform to allow the knowledge sharing, exchange the ideas like uh, what we've done before the pandemic you know the women's conferences and seminars uh, we invited all the women's football stakeholders to gather together for a few days uh, in that occasion that the strong women's uh, mentioned uh, member associations or the developing member associations all having the opportunities to showcase their experience and the experts or coaches from Europe and other continents were also invited to talk about their ways and discuss the trend in latest major competitions. But most important that the member associations should also take the initiative to develop women football. Uh, it has to be two ways. AFC and uh, our member associations are working together. And what kind of teams are you looking closely in this Asia Cup? 
you know, first of all, my eyes on uh, those new teams uh, like Iran and also the hosting country, India and Indonesia and Chinese Taipei, they are not common participants for the tournament. Um, you see their performance uh, decides if we have the chance to further expand the teams in the future game and to test the gap between the strong teams and, and them. So I hope they can give us the positive sign to move forward. And also my eyes on the traditional uh, strong teams like Japan, China and Korea. You know, after Tokyo Olympics, they all changed the head coach. Uh, you know, new coaches, there will always be some uh, new players. And um, this Asian Cup is the test for those coaches and players before they really go for the Women's World Cup. And Australia, they, they are also very eager for this Asian Cup title. So uh, they will definitely, you know, build up the confidence for, for them to when they are um, hosting the Women's World Cup next year. So I wish to see the good performance that it can really give us um, the hope in the next year Women's World Cup. I would like to bring on Yue Lu from SBS Mandarin. So Yui, I heard that Bai Lili was a former player in the women's national team for People's Republic of China. What kind of player was she? Bai Lili was amazing. Bai was a leading figure in women's football in China, representing the country in 2004 Summer Olympics and the 2006 AFC Women's Asian Cup, who won the silver medal. However, Bai was seriously injured in the 2006 Asian Cup. Her injury was so serious that it ended her career. However, it ended her football playing career, but it opened a door to a new career where she is now a leading figure in women's football development. And I heard that the Chinese team has a nickname? Yes, they are called Steel Roses. In Chinese, it's Keng Tiang Mei Gui. You know, the interesting fact is, although China's women's team have excelled in football, but it's men that still got all the attention. I think that is happening in many of the countries, which we will later explore in the coming series. Yeah, it's hard to believe, especially here in Australia, that women are still facing negative attitudes to playing football, and that football coaches are not a popular career choice. Actually, Yumi, that is true for Chinese Taipei, participating in the tournament for the first time in 14 years. Where the recognition, awareness, popularity of football has been very different. Their head coach and goalkeeper coach are both Japanese. I'm on the team's very first ticket to the World Cup. Having said that, even if they don't win the 2022 Asian Cup, if they qualify for the 2023 World Cup, it will certainly change their journey. So I caught up with the goalkeeper coach, Michael Otomo, who has been with the Chinese Taipei national team since 2019. The environment to play football is completely different. It made me realize how well organized football was in Japan. First and foremost, football is not a popular sport in Taiwan. There is so little football field to play on or recognition. 
So, national players themselves do not realize the value of representing their country. Because there is little participation in women's football, it's not hard to be a part of the national team. Even the parents of the players can be heard saying work is more important than playing in the national team. So initially, I was very surprised. The players are either working or students. They participate in little or no training per week in their own leagues, such that their condition is almost like taking a break. So I have to encourage them to come to training and keep moving their bodies. So yeah, apart from the so-called big fours, Australia, South Korea, China and Japan, who should we keep our eyes on? Mm, definitely Iran. I think there has been unimaginable number of barriers for women to play football in the country. So for them to qualify for their very first Asia Cup is indeed an achievement. I believe the team has been trying since 2010 to qualify for the Asia Cup. I received this great insight from the SBS Persian team about women's football in Iran. Here is the producer, Mos Masubi. The first Iranian women's football team was established in 1970. However, after the revolution in 1979, the government put an end to women's football for many years in the country. Refounded in 2005, the team reached second place in the 2005 West Asian Football Federation Women's Championship in Amman, Jordan. The team won second place again at the 2007 and 2011 West Asian Football Federation Women's Championship. In 2011, Iran was banned by FIFA from international competition only because of wearing hijab. This caused Iran to forfeit its bid to qualify for the 2012 Summer Olympics. The ban was later lifted in 2012. According to the coach, the team failed to arrange a single friendly match for the 2022 AFC Women's Asian Cup, despite sending invitations to 14 countries, none of which were accepted since Iran's women's football team was reformed only two years ago and had not been included in the FIFA ranking. Now, through hard work and determination, Iran's women's national football team returned to the latest FIFA Women's World Ranking released last year, achieving the 70th place among 167 countries. Since the Islamic Revolution, stadium access for women has been extremely rare and highly restricted. In October 2019, and for the first time after four decades, more than 3,000 Iranian women were allowed to buy tickets and watch the match from a special section of a Tehran stadium for World Cup qualifier against Cambodia. However, it brought no lasting change. Mariam Irandust and her team have a vision and a strong will. 
They continue to work tirelessly in the battle for equal rights for women football players of Iran. The coach of the Iranian women's national team points out that hope was the derivative factor that kept the team together and pushed them through to this stage, which wouldn't have been possible without a rich source of energy and motivation. Iran Dust is looking for a place at the competition's knockout stage. Well, just knowing what the team has endured in the past, I surely want to cheer them on. Yes, me too. So we have been looking at the various barriers women face when playing football. But what is happening in the host country? I caught up with Abreshmia Kujuri, an Indian journalist in the host city. What is it like in the host country at the moment? Um, obviously, people are really excited. Uh, there's not much fanfare behind uh, women's football generally in India, but it's beginning to pick up in the last couple of years or so. So yeah, there's absolutely general excitement among the people. And obviously, I mean, the stars have descended on India, right, in terms of women's football. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that everyone's really excited to watch the biggest stars on Indian soil. I believe India is a cricket-loving nation. How has the awareness of football and women's football been since the country won the bid to host the Asia Cup? Um, since the Asian Cup bid uh, was won by India, I think there's always been a lot of excitement around it. Um, with The men's football is more uh, well-known among the public uh, here in India, but uh, it's starting to grow on the women's football as well. Uh, the the country, the women's team has been playing pretty well in the last couple of years. They have developed, they're, they're getting better. And uh, that has led on to the public to follow a bit of uh, women's football. We're obviously expecting more fanfare uh, after the Asian Cup because it will bring more awareness about the game in the country. Uh, but yes, uh, people have started following women's football much better than they were before. And Asian Cup has definitely been of help. What other challenges do you think there have been for India for the development of uh, women's football? I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is having a proper system that lets the players grow uh, right from when they're kids. Um, the lack of proper pathway in terms of uh, competitions at the grassroots level or competitions in age groups to you know developing to the senior team I think that's a bit of a block. Uh, so you will uh, see a lot of dropouts in that terms because uh, people start playing football, but then there's lack of opportunities. So uh, the dropout rate is extremely high. Um, the lack of system overall selections here, uh, people focus a lot on uh, physicality and height. These are factors that are taken into account a lot here. So that also leads to... Um, a a selection that uh, may not go well with a lot of uh, the players. So because of that also, you'll see a lot of dropouts. So uh, what is the biggest hurdle I feel is uh, the lack of game time overall. I think if uh, we 
see more competitions, longer leagues uh, here in India. We'll see the women footballers get more game time and their parents also be more supportive overall in terms of seeing it as a job opportunity rather than uh, something that they play in school and college. That's almost full time on our first episode of Moving Goalpost Beyond Barriers, where we looked at the gap of women's football development in Asia. Tournaments such as the Asia Cup is always a great opportunity to shine a light on women's football. But like it has happened in the past, let's not forget about them after the tournament. Let's keep the momentum going and support women's football. In the coming episodes, we will have players and coaches from all levels of football in Australia sharing their stories and barriers. We will also hear from the former Matildas coach, Alan Stajic, so please join us again on this brand new podcast series, Moving Goalposts Beyond Barriers. to reset great minds is a podcast from sbs that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world listen wherever you get your podcasts